0: All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them. We are going to finish out the book of Philippians this morning. The Philippians chapter 4 is where we will be. I'm going to do a no-no and clean my glasses with my t-shirt. Bad. Philippians chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. Uh, I know many of you are college football fans, and I doubt many of you are Florida Gator fans, but... The Florida Gators were down by five points, fourth and 20 with uh, under a minute to go, and and so they had to score. And Tim Tebow uh, was their quarterback, and uh, uh, he calls the play in the huddle. Uh, They go to the line, and you just feel that tension. This is it. This is the play of the game. the all or nothing right now. Got 20 seconds at the line. The camera zooms in on Tim Tebow. You see his, his face paint with... 4.13 4.13 right there uh, on, his, on his face paint, and, and he hikes the ball, drops back. receivers go deep, but they blitz, and so he's got to roll out, and he rolls out to his right, and he's running. And they're on his tail. He's coming to, the, to out of bounds, and at the last minute, he just throws this pass up in the air, and he gets clobbered. He's on the ground, stars in his eyes, sits up, looks to see his teammates with their hands in the air, Touchdown. So he gets up and he runs to the end zone. He's high-fiving and he's hugging and he's celebrating. They win the game and as Tim Tebow does, he gets to the end zone, high-fives a couple people and he stops and he takes a knee Got the Tebow knee. Then he goes and he finishes celebrating with his friends and his coaches. But then he gets to the press conference after the game and, and the press conference he's asked all kinds of questions. What was going through your mind on that last play? Did you think you could win? How does it feel to, to win like that at the end of the game? And Tebow says, like he says almost every game, you know, first and foremost, I wanna thank Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And as you, all you know, I put 413 on my, on my face, on my paint, because it is not my strength that allowed us to win tonight, it was God's. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and so he gets the credit. And Christians heard this, you know, when Tebow was playing and loved it, loved every time he would do it, when he gave God credit, when he, bat, when he took his knee or when he pointed to the sky, it was like, yeah, that's our guy, that's like our Christian quarterback. And I love Tebow and I think he's a great guy, but Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, has absolutely zero to do with throwing touchdown passes. But we love to use this verse, we love it, it gives us confidence when there's something going on in our life, we're like, I don't know if I can do that, and you're like, oh wait, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things to Christ, I can pass that test even though I didn't study. It gives us confidence that we can do things when we're not quite sure in our own strength we can do it. I've seen sports teams use it. I've seen I've seen it written on the ceiling in in the in the workout room. So when the guys are bench pressing and they can't quite get it up, you know they're like, they're, Oh yeah, I can do it! You know I can do all things through Christ. I can bench press that. When you wanted to talk to that cute girl but were too scared, but you were a Christian, you're like, Oh, you know what? Jesus give me the strength to do it. But Philippians 4.13 has nothing to do with throwing throwing touchdown passes. It has nothing to do with bench pressing or asking a girl out. It is not a blanket statement that if we have faith or something, that Jesus will lend us his strength and we can accomplish anything. And yet, though this verse has absolutely zero to do with any of that, we use it like that all the time. It's on coffee mugs. It's on Christian apparel. It's everywhere. I think it might Be the most common misused verse in the entire Bible. I think it's in the running. It's misused because this verse is taken out of context, and it is used to mean something that neither Paul nor God meant for it to mean. Words have meaning. Sentences have meaning. Verses have meaning. The meaning comes from what the author meant it to say, what he intended it to say. We discover what the meaning is through understanding the context. That is, what book it was written in, what genre the book is written in, what chapter it's in, what verses are before and after it. We cannot just lift it out of its context. If we do, if we use it to mean whatever we want it to mean, if we take it out of context, then verses from the Bible, out of context, have no more spiritual truth than a Hindu proverb. A verse used out of context has no power. It is devoid of truth. It is a fiction. Philippians 4.13 meant, if it meant what we try to make it mean, then I should be able to gather supernatural strength from Jesus and dunk a basketball. But brothers and sisters, on my best day, I can barely touch the net. So if Philippians 4.13 does not give us supernatural ability, then what does it mean? Look at the context and find out. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, President, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says the very words of God, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that i am speaking of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through him who strengthens me. word of the lord you see when we read that verse in context we realize That when it says, I can do all things, that the all things is actually defined for us. He defines what all things mean. He defines it right before. He's not giving a blanket statement that I can just do all things, like I can just take off and fly if I want. And what is that context? Notice verse 11. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be The context is over contentment, being content. The all things that Paul can do through Christ who gives him strength is to be content in every circumstance, in every situation. He goes on to say that he can be brought low, he can abound, but in all those circumstances he's learned the secret to contentment. To make it more clear, this is basically what he's saying, if I could be so bold as to not rewrite but to paraphrase. I can be content in all circumstances through Christ who gives me. That's what he's saying. Now I know it might seem like a letdown because who, who doesn't want to throw touchdown passes and bench press a lot of weight and you know be bold and dunk a basketball or whatever it is, you, you know pass a test without studying. But this is not a letdown because contentment is more special, more meaningful, more helpful and can give us greater joy because being content, be, being discontent, be, not being content is so easy for us. Most all of us do it every day. We're discontent with our life on a daily basis. How, how, how quickly are we discontent over a slow computer or a phone that won't move fast enough, internet that doesn't go fast enough, an older car that doesn't always work right, an overcooked steak. Can I get an amen, of Pruill? A cracked iPhone screen a difficult relationship, and we're discontent with where we are in life. Being content is incredibly difficult, maybe even more difficult than throwing a touchdown pass. But contentment will only be achieved through God's strength. And I think that when we find contentment through Christ, we will find that we actually wouldn't trade it for the ability to throw throw touchdown passes after all. So what is contentment? What does it mean? What does it look like to live a life of, of being content? Well, let's start out by talking about what it's not. Contentment does not mean complacent. Contentment does not mean complacent. Sometimes we have this idea that to be content means that I feel nothing and, and, I, and that I want for nothing. Right? With this idea, this is, we kind of think it's like being a monk. You know, like, I forsake all material possessions, uh, spends all of their time in prayer, walks around, you know, like this, humming, mm, with a weird haircut. Because they've forsaken the world and they're wearing just like a brown thing. Or we think it's wrong for us to want something, as if wanting something, in the wanting we are unsatisfied or discontent with our life as it is. So think about it like this. Does working hard in order to get a promotion at work mean you're discontent? Does being single but wanting to get married mean you're not content? Does struggling to have a baby but still wanting one mean you're not content? Does wanting a new iPhone that's getting ready to come out mean you're not content with what you have? No. No. It is okay, and it is even good to want and to work hard for promotion. It is good to seek out to be married. It is good to want to have children. It's good to get the new iPhone and get rid of that old Android you got. Didn't get any amens on that. I don't know why. Contentment does not require that you purge yourself of all desire. That's not what contentment means. You don't have to get rid of all of your wants. It doesn't require that you purge yourself of all of your emotions. The Greek philosophers known as the Stoics believe that contentment was marked by having no emotion, by having no needs, no desires. That is not the Christian understanding of contentment. It's not what Paul is saying. We know this by Paul's very example. Remember, Paul is writing from prison. He's in prison. He's literally chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He's writing from prison, and he's saying that he is content with where God has him, but at the same time, he wants and he hopes to get out of prison. He's content to be in prison, but he wants to get out of prison, and he wants to go see the Philippians. He wants to go travel. He wants to keep working. He's like, I'd rather go be with Jesus, but I know there's more for me to do, and so I'd rather get out of prison and go do this stuff, but I'm content with where I am. And so you can be content with where you are and still want something else. You can do that. Paul speaks of pressing on toward the prize. He wants to finish the race. There's more for him to do. Contentment does not mean complacency with where you are. It is possible to be content at peace with where you are while praying and hoping and working for a change in circumstance. And it's also not emotionless either. Be content doesn't mean you are devoid of emotions or feelings. Like we should, as Christians particularly, feel sorrow. We should feel joy. We should feel anger, even, over injustice. It is good for us to feel these emotions. We should have deep emotions. The Bible commands many of these emotions. So contentment is not being like a monk, wanting nothing and feeling nothing. Instead, contentment is the peaceful acceptance of where God has providentially placed you without Resenting his providence or envying others. It's the peaceful acceptance of where God has placed you, providentially placed you, without resenting that providence or envying other people. Doesn't mean you can't want or pray for different things or different outcomes or change. It does mean that whatever you face, whatever seasons you go through, whatever gains or losses you experience, that in those moments, that there is strange, odd, comforting peace because you know that the hand of God is pleased. So the question now becomes, how do we become a pe- people who are content? How do we become content? Three observations from the text. First, we must learn to trust the character and sovereignty of God. Paul has just told us that he has experienced what it is like for everything to be going well and for everything to be crashing and burning. He knows what it's like to be high and low. He knows what it's like to feast and he knows what it's like to not know where his next meal is coming from. And he wants us to know that contentment is not contingent upon or based on our circumstance. That contentment is not based on our circumstances, on whatever's going on in our life. If it is, we will never be content. We'll be a roller coaster up and down, up and down. And remember, he's writing from prison. He's awaiting a death sentence. When that guy tells us how to be content, we should. It's important also to note that Paul doesn't simply say, here's how you be content when you don't have anything. It's important to note, Paul is not saying, hey, when you lose everything, when you're hungry, when you're down and out, here's how to be content. It's not what he says. He says, here's how you be content. Lose everything, low, and when you're high, and when you abound, and when you're successful reflected on that, I I think that it is often harder for us to be content when we have everything going. The more we get, the more it seems like we want for a bottomless pit. Our hearts are bottomless pits craving more. It's the reason with your kids that the, the, the kids starving in Africa argument never works to get them to eat their supper. You know what I'm talking about. Your kid doesn't eat. Kid, eat your food that I've cooked for you and be grateful because there are starving kids in Africa who would be thrilled to have this food. It doesn't work because your kids have already tasted the food they like and they know the way they want it. Anything less doesn't meet their wants and their discontentment. So we truly have to learn contentment in every situation. And need and in plenty. So, how do we do that? Commit, contentment, not be based on circumstance, but on the character and sovereignty of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to place your contentment on the character and sovereignty of God? Whatever situation you find yourself in, you must understand this first. Whatever your circumstances are, whether high or low, wherever you are, here's what you have to understand first. Wherever you are, it is a part of God's plan. You are not where you are by accident. That God is in complete charge and control of the universe. There is not one atom that slips out of out of out of turn, out of place, and God's like, "Oh no, come back over here, Adam, molecule." He holds it all in his hands. He's in complete control. There are no accidents. Uh, God has planned it, written our story. We all know that. We all know that God is in control, but. We lack contentment because when we don't like our current circumstances, deep down, we believe that God is getting it wrong. He is messing. He dropped the ball. We believe that if we were running the universe, we wouldn't have made that choice or this choice. We wouldn't put ourselves in this circumstance. So while we know that God has us in the for a reason often we don't like it we don't like it and we don't trust whatever the reason god has us in that situation so if we're going to be content not only must we know that our circumstances are a part of his sovereign providential plan but we also must know his character so that we can trust that he has put us there for a good reason we have to remember that god is all-knowing that he knows everything that he sees, everything that he is everywhere. Not only does he see everything, but he sees all moments past, present, and future. He's all knowing and he's all wise. God knows exactly the right course of action, exactly the things to do, the decisions to make. Every time he makes perfect decisions, all wise, he's all good. God He is always working for our ultimate good and the things he do he does has to flow from his goodness. He's a standard of goodness and he's all loving. He actually cares about what happens to you. Did you know that? and in times and circumstances that are hard for you do you know that God is actually that he loves you and he actually cares about what happens to you. Remember Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things together for good. those who are called according to his purpose, he works all things even the bad thing? We have to remember that we are not anywhere near as wise or as good as God is. So whatever circumstances that God places us in, whatever we're walking through, we can know and rest. God has our best interest in mind, that he is working for our good even when we can. not Like a parent who after Halloween does not let their five-year-old eat all of the candy that they just got, Right? Limit that. We ration it. First of all, we take our 15% tax off the top for us. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Teaching our kids about taxes. And the second thing we do is say, okay, you don't get to eat all this tonight. You can have X amount of pieces. So you don't go into a sugar coma and wake up in the middle of night throwing up. And and our kid doesn't understand that, right? The kid's are like, why? I want to eat all of it right now. Right? And they just want to just sweet tarts, sweet tarts. Titsy rolls, whatever, just eat it, eat it, eat it. And we're like, no, and they don't get it. They don't understand. Is that not us? God puts us in this situation for our good. Like, I don't want this. God, get me out of this. I don't want this. I don't like this. I want that. I want that. And it's like, no, you need to be right here. You don't see why. You don't see why this is good for you. Maybe it's a little hard right now. Maybe you don't get all the things you want right now. But being right here is exactly where you need to be because I know that it's going to lead to this. which. This is where I need you to be, where you need You, you don't understand it, because we're like kids who just want to eat all the candy. The first step to contentment is trusting that God has providentially, sovereignly placed us in whatever circumstance we are in, and that his character, he is good, that we can trust that he's placed us there for a good reason. You're not in the circumstance by accident, but God is using it for your ultimate good. That's the first thing. The second thing is to know where our strength comes from. Greek philosophers I mentioned earlier called the Stoics believed that contentment was the highest of virtues. But they wanted to become completely independent of every craving, every need. So everything that they might be dependent on, they purged the the desire for food the desire for relationships the desire for any emotional uh, things that they needed they purged themselves of all of it because they wanted independence independence from any need their motto was this man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and able by the power of his will to resist the force of circumstance they thought the strength to achieve contentment was bound up inside of us and it, all we had to do was force independence on ourselves, have mind over matter, we could be content, purge ourselves of all of these thoughts and feelings. What Paul is doing is flipping this idea on its head. He's saying the Greek philosophers got it wrong. That contentment is a high virtue, but the way you get it isn't through independence. Our strength doesn't come from us. Paul is saying our ability to be content doesn't come from independence, but rather through complete dependence on Christ secret of contentment isn't a plan or a program, but a person. I can do all things Christ gives me strength. Jesus is not making us strong. Jesus is not lending or sending us his strength to borrow. He is strengthening us with him. We are dependent on him. We will find that we have in him all that we need and more. You see, the problem of contentment is that we think that something else, some other circumstance, some other thing will finally be enough. It will fi- finally make us content. Contentment's always around the corner, right? It's always just ahead. A relationship, a promotion, more money, more material possessions, attention, receiving that recognition that you never get. And though you work your tail off. whatever it is. we believe that if we just had it, we'd be content and it's always just out of our reach. it's a lie. It's a lie that if you got that thing, you'd be content because you just want more and just want more. It's a lie because you were created as an infinite creature with infinite desire. And if you are an infinite creature with infinite desire, no finite thing could ever satisfy you, could ever quench the hunger, thirst that rages in your heart. The only thing that could satisfy it is something infinite itself. Jesus, you see, when you stop thinking that a change in your circumstances will make you content, or just uh, getting this or getting that will make you content. And when you realize that Jesus alone can satisfy you, him alone can satisfy you, only then will you find peace in life. Only then will you be able to rest. Only then will you be content. See, Jesus gives us strength to be content by giving us himself. Actual satisfaction uh, come is, is given, strength is given, we have the ability to be content because we have him. Get him. The only then will you know the strength when you have Jesus, only then will you know the strength to look at something you want. Now get this, only when you have Jesus and he's all you need, only then will you be able to look at the things that you want say, no, I'm okay right now. Only when you have Jesus uh, and he's all that you need, will you be able to look at that promotion you've been working hard for and then realize, you know what, it's probably not best for my family right now. It's gonna cause more traveling. So no, I'm okay. Only when G- you have Jesus and he is all you need, will you be able to look at the things you desire and say, maybe later. Then we'd be able to take it or leave it. You're fine either way. You know, the word contentment actually originated and comes from this idea that a country, when a country got to a certain place of, of economic stability, that they no longer needed to import goods from another country. That country was content. They didn't need to bring anything from the outside in. They didn't need to import anything. Then that country was going that's where the word comes from. And the same is true for us. We know we have reached maturity and contentment when we are at peace exactly where we are, when we don't need to bring anything from the outside in because we have everything we need in Christ. And we've reached We don't need Jesus plus this, Jesus plus A, B, or C. Jesus. And then we can handle having or not having everything. Else. A pastor friend of mine, um, Called me this week and, and we check in. We talk multiple times a week. And he called me and he said, "Hey man, I need you to pray for me. <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm headed over to a church member's house who's on fire. House is on fire. bad situation. Got to go, go be there. Okay, call me afterward. Call me afterward and kind of filled me in on what happened. And um, they don't know how their house caught on fire yet. This happened this week. And um, but they have a farm and the house. They couldn't get the fire put out. Fire." Everything they have a farm, they burn up all the animals, burned up stables and barns and all this. Her father recently had his leg removed; he was stuck inside and couldn't get out. Her father, her father got burned up, lost everything. You know where they are, right? Right this minute. This happened a few days ago. Do you know where they are right now? He's standing in the kids ministry area, checking people in. Their son is in the tech booth running stuff. or their, The husband is at the welcome desk greeting people as they walk in and they're all sitting in service singing Amazing Grace how sweet down the safe direction. Have Jesus. When you have Jesus and you've lost everything, when you have been devastated, Have the all-satisfying comfort of knowing Christ. They can say through the worst possible pain and loss, Jesus is enough. He is my portion. He will deliver me. He is my hope, my security, my deliverer, my all-in-all. All. He gives and he takes away, and yet we still bless His name. They can say God is good. They can say it is well with my. Soul. In the midst of feeling sorrow in the midst of heartache, in the midst of the greatest possible pain and loss. They'll have an odd peace. Not that they don't wish it didn't happen. Not that they don't hurt. Not that they aren't crying themselves asleep every night. They can still have odd peace. They'll have contentment because the sovereign hand of God trust Him. No, they don't understand. The contentment comes through trusting sovereignty and the character of God, and it comes through dependence on Jesus alone. Have Jesus, all you will ever need, no matter what you think. Third thing we see is that it's learned. This is is encouraging news. Paul says, verse 11, I have learned the secret. You know what that means? It means he didn't have it to begin with. It's not like when you're saved, boom, you get it. it gives me hope because we don't, don't all have it immediately. We've got to learn it. Paul learned it over the course of years. He learned it after being beaten for preaching the gospel, being stoned twice and left for dead. He learned it after being chased out of cities. He learned it after being uh, flogged and shipwrecked and snake bit and thrown in prison again and again. Through years of following Jesus through all different kinds of circumstances, high and low, he learned that the secret to contentment was that no matter what change in his life, Jesus never. Did. No matter if he's got all the money he needs, or if he doesn't know where his next meal is coming from, no matter what circumstances change, Jesus never. Did. But he had to learn it through trial, and we're the same way. It is in the trial and in the difficulty and the the sorting through our emotions and our temptations and our fears that we again and again try to remind ourselves and and tell ourselves these truths. I've got to be content. I know God has me here. I don't understand. I know it's hard. And it's through that muddy emotional mess again and again, trying our best to believe that God is at work, that he is enough, that we can trust him, that through that eventually over the course of time, we get there and through these trials and through the mess god is teaching us contentment in himself that he will bring us through these days and teach us to have peace and rest no matter what each day brings he is teaching us that. i remember the first time that i kind of kind of had god teach me this in college when i was poor as dirt living off mac and cheese i still kind of am because i like mac and cheese but when i was in college When I'm living off mac and cheese and porous dirt, new things would come out that I'd want, whether it be a video game or some new iPhone or some tech thing that I wanted to get. And I'm like, oh, I'd get excited, right? My adrenaline would pump, a dopamine would release. I'd be excited. Man, I've got to have that thing. And then I look at my bank account and go, oh, I ain't getting that thing. (laughs) wait for Christmas. And so then I would resign myself to the reality that I wasn't going to get it. But you know what I realized a couple of weeks after it came out and I didn't get it? forgot about it, forgot about it, it's like, oh, I guess I'm just fine not having that thing, I'd still kind of like to have it, but, but now, I, if, I, if I had the money, I'm not even sure I'd spend it on it, remember the first time I felt that, and I was like, Phew. it's the first time I realized that my heart completely deceives me every day, and the things that it wants, craves. I believe it, I believe, what my heart. yeah, I want that, Oh, $1,000? What's $1,000 between friends? Yeah, let's get that. What's that? Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends its roots out by the stream and does not fear When heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. How can a tree have its leaves remain green in the scorching summer heat? Desert. And how can a tree bear fruit in a drought when it is not raining? It is not because the tree bears some magical internal spring of water within itself, but because the tree is planted by a stream. Dude, we can face all circumstances, no matter how high or low they are, we can have peace and joy. We can be like Paul, who is the happiest guy in Rome, even though he's in prison. We have the source of, have the source of all satisfaction, in Christ. We can have this kind of life, a life that is always full, no matter what you have or don't have. You can have it because Philippians 4:13 is not about throwing touchdown passes. It's about, Jesus being all that we need him to be. Our source of strength and joy doesn't come from within us. It comes from knowing Jesus. The one who had the strength and contentment to trust God, even when he was in a garden looking forward to moments later when he would be drugged out before a city, beaten within an inch of his life, laughed at, mocked at, spit upon, and then forced to carry a couple hundred pound cross on his naked back up a hill so that they could continue to suffocate him as ground in his own I trusted god that that's what i needed because jesus was content and trusted god and that god was his source of strength and know that all satisfied Philippians 4.13 is not about God giving us the ability to throw a touchdown pass. It is about God giving us the ability to be content whether we throw the touchdown pass or get sacked. And regardless of which happens, that we can be at peace and have joy and always keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the true prize for which we all. Father, this morning, we gather together and it has been good to hear us all sing. God, this morning, as we get ready to close out in this final song, if there are anyone in this room who has seen themselves as religious or has seen themselves as going to church and it being enough, would you show them this morning that Jesus is the thing they're missing? Not a Jesus in name only, not a Jesus in theory, not a belief in generic that there is a God in the sky, but Jesus as their Lord and Savior who was crucified and raised from the dead for them, who makes them content. And whatever they whatever circumstances come in their life, if if this morning, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know him, would you give them the courage and the boldness and the strength to come grab me? As we sing this song, as I'm going to stand right over here on the right side of the room, and Ryan Land, our youth guy, is going to stand on the left side of the room. If you, If you need to pray, if you need to come to know Jesus, if you need to pray about contentment, if you need to pray about anything else going on in your life, we want to be there for you. Be there. For you. Randy Richards, I'm going to have him stand up over here on the left as well. As we sing, if you need prayer, if you need to come to know Jesus, don't be embarrassed about that. We're going to scream for joy with you. We're going to be so pumped. God, give us the strength to respond how we need as we sing this song. And if we just need to stand here and sing and remember that you are sweet enough and good enough, satisfy us. God, let us do Jesus, then we pray all people say